So Lord, we ask for your help. We want this to be about you. We want to hear your voice as we hear your word. We want you to be glorified. And Lord, we don't want, as your, this word says, the bread of anxious toil. We want rest. So help us to rest in you as we hear your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open up God's word together this morning in the new year. If you would, turn with me to Psalm chapter 127. That's right, split your Bible in the middle, Psalm 127. <clears throat> this morning, as uh, you turn there, I want to share something that's a very uh, personal part of my, my story. Um, as many of you know, I was a, a music major in college. And um, I was devoted to that. And I really, 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 I, I had a dream for my life. And the dream for my life was to be uh, an orchestral musician or a conductor of such an orchestra. And part of the requirement of my degree to get there was a final project, if you will. It was called a senior recital, where I would pick pieces and perform them before an audience of the faculty and students and family if they wanted to come. And um, in that process, right before that was to take place, I had a nervous breakdown. And... Um, the re there were several reasons I had a nervous breakdown, but um, I just want to share this this morning. I wanted that dream. I wanted it. And I believed that if I worked hard enough, that I would get my dream, that I would succeed. And so I worked. Almost all four in a semester of years of my, of my college degree, I worked, mid, I worked 6 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week. I was the last one almost always in the, in the practice room. And I would go and go and go and go. I would work and work and work and work. And nothing mattered to me more than that. In fact, when it was break time, unless I was like Christmas break or summer break, unless I was sick, which forced me to stop, I would be constantly thinking about practice getting better. I remember a hunting trip where all I thought about was how I wasn't practicing. How I was losing time and skill because I was off doing something else. So I worked and I worked and I worked and I'm getting close to the final project, this final senior recital where I'm to perform. And about a month and a half before, there's this thing called a, 
a preview that you do with your professor, recital preview. So you, you go through all the music that you've picked out, and I go and I do that, and at the end of it, my professor says, "You're not ready." It crushed me. Do you know why? Do you know why it crushed me? Idolatry. Because I was worshiping the wrong God. I was working, not worshiping, for the wrong God. And it was plain as day to see in reflection on it. Not only was it the hours I was putting in, but if relationships began to suffer, if it wasn't about music, if it wasn't about making, the, making my goal meet, those, those relationships were neglected. I stopped going to church after the first year of college unless I was paid to play there because I wanted my dream. And you know what the irony is? Is that the harder I worked, the worse I actually performed. And so it all came to a head finally. Where God brought me face to face with the reality, who really needs to work, Aaron? And who needs to worship? And maybe you guys have never been that focused on something. But I can guarantee you that right now, in your lives, everything comes together. And, it, and tomorrow morning, at work time, everything is going to come together and demand that kind of devotion from you. The work is going to be always too much. There is always more work to be done. And guess what? The bills keep coming every month. And those of you who work in the home, you know, and perhaps better than anyone else, that the work is never over because it's there all the time. Big piles of laundry. We're coming off the holidays, trying to retransition into normal. That's going to, that, dem, that is going to try to demand of you to work for it. And then those of you who have kids, your kids aren't getting any younger. Our kids are not getting any younger. And we know that there is, every parent comes to this point, we know that there is not enough time in the day for us to teach and train our kids in all the things that we know that they need to know, even if we had the right words to say it. And we're going to be tempted to work instead of worship. So here's the question when all of that comes together in our lives. Who is really supposed to be working? And who is to be worshiping? And who are we to be worshiping? 
as a church family in this new year of new possibilities after we've finished a move, a big move this past year, who are we to be worshiping? Who is to be working? Well, God gave ancient Israel that reminder every year as they would go up, ascend to Jerusalem, the main city, where in Jerusalem they went up the mighty steps of the temple at the time to worship God. And it was given and written by the guy who built that temple, Solomon, and it was given as a warning and as a call for hope and for a call to worship. Who really works and who really worships? God will work. We must worship. So let's stand as we look at Psalm 127. Let's hear God tell us who really works. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You may have a seat. God will work. We must worship. And it must be this God revealed in Scripture whom we worship. So, here's the question for our time. How does this text teach us to worship? If that's what we're to be doing, how does this text teach us to worship? Well, first, he tells us that we worship God by working and watching. And you might be thinking, wait, 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 Aaron, you just shared this story of how working didn't work out for you. And yet you're telling us that we need that part of our worship is working. Yes. And that's where so many of us get it wrong. Because we are designed by God. Every moment of our lives, we are worshipers. We will worship something or someone every time, all the time. The question is who? Competing for the preaching here. We will worship. We will. It's just a default. But how we do it and for whom matters. So we worship God by working and watching. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So here's the question. As we think, if we need, if the way we were, one of the ways we worship is by working and watching, is there ever a situation from this psalm that would say 
It's not in vain to work. It's not in vain to watch. And when I say watch, it means a, pro- a protection, a preserving, a keeping. Is it ever not in vain? Well, yes. Working is not in vain if we work by the power of God according to the will of God. Because look what he says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. That does not mean that, okay, well, I'm just going to call her a day, sit on the sidelines, and let the people who are fools work it out. You know what that is? Well, it's called laziness, but you know what that is? It's sin. It's disobedience to God. Refusing to work because we think God is sovereign is disobedience to God. Refusing to work because we think God's got it all figured out is disobedience. Look what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, who, those who build it labor in vain. And if we don't work, guess what that says? We are saying if we don't work, that God ain't building Well, it's just vain. It's just vain if we work. If we say that, we believe that God is not building. That's not correct. The question is, where is he building? What is he building? Because this also implies that God is building something. He's building somewhere. The question is, Are you building where he's building? Is the laborer laboring where he's laboring? And apart from Jesus Christ, we will every time, all the time, get this wrong. Because we are the kings and queens of vanity. Like I said when I shared my dream, my goal... It was all about me. And when we live our lives, we live them so often like it's all about us. Or it's all about our kids. Or it's all about our business. Instead of it's all to be about God. Unless the Lord builds the house, this passage says, Everything you're doing in your life, hear this, unless he's in it, it is worthless. Is what you're doing in your life right now worthless? And the only way you're going to know that is if you've looked at his book and talked with him. Because if you haven't looked at his book and haven't talked with him about it, guess what? It is worthless. The Lord, his eyes are on those who seek him. Where he is, he's building. And what about the stuff we've already built in our lives, huh? 
What about the stuff we already have? How do we keep that? How do we watch over that? Well, watching's not in vain if we are preserving what God wants preserved. How do we know what God wants preserved? Have you looked at his book? Have you asked him? What about sin in our lives? Does God want that preserved? No, he came to put that to death. Well, what about our families? Yes, he wants those preserved in his way. What about our work? Does that not matter to God? Yes, it very much matters to God, so much so that he tells us to submit it to him. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Philippians 1, verse 6 says this. It says, Paul encouraging the church in Philippi saying, And I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What this passage is saying is that in order for our work not to be in vain, it's got to be God doing the work in us and through us. And that should excite us because that means that we get the privilege as people, people made in God's image, we get the privilege to work with him, to work with God, to be his agents of reconciliation. Second Corinthians calls us ambassadors of reconciliation. We get to do the work of God, because it is God working in us and through us. And if you are here saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus, that is the calling on your life, wherever you are. To be used of God, not for yourself, but for His purposes, His glory, His building the house, His watching over the city. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says, And seek the welfare of the city in which you live, for by its welfare you will find your welfare. Guess what? We should seek the good of our community, but not for ourselves, for God's glory. And guess what? With that, we get the bonus. We get the blessing. Because God gets a house built, the city's watched over, we are built up, and we are safe. That's one way how we worship. By working and watching. But here's a question. What is our posture as we work, as we're being alert, as we seek to preserve and keep things? God will work. We must worship. What's our posture? Secondly, it's a posture of worship. We worship by resting and receiving. Because look what he says next. Ah, and I just, this gets me every time, this verse. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Here's a question. 
and maybe I'm the only one asking it, but I, I don't think I am. How can we rest when there is so much to do? I get up early in the morning and I go late to bed. And there's still way more to do. And that's just in my little sphere. That's not the needs of the world. How can we rest when there is so much to do? Well, this passage tells us we rest by faith, not living by fear. Because look, it says, it is in vain that you, rest, that you rise up early and go late to rest. What? Eating the bread of anxious toil. You know what that is? That's the reward we get from the curse. When God cursed Adam and Eve, after they had disobeyed him, had broken faith with him, you know what the curse was to the man? He said, you will work. And by the sweat of your brow, you will toil in the fields, and the ground basically will resist you. And you will eat the bread that you get from all your toil. Basically, what happened? Disobey God. The work got hard. Crazy hard. So who do we need to be in this passage? Well, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to who? His beloved sleep. So here's a question before we address the sleep part. Are you beloved? Does God love you? And if you have trusted him through faith in Jesus Christ, in his son, and his finished work on the cross for you, you get the confirmation that he has always loved you and will always keep loving you. So you call yourself a believer today? How are you going to answer this question? You need to get to the place where you can confidently answer, yes, I am beloved by God. Because that's who he is for you. And that's who you are to him. Beloved. Cared for. No longer having the burden to obey the curse. So what does he mean then for us who are beloved? He gives to his beloved sleep. I don't, you got a young kid. I've got a kid who's less than a year old. Guess what's not happening in our house a whole lot with parents? Sleep. What does this mean? It means, it, it can mean sleep, certainly. But it is a posture of rest. You see, the good, what part of the good news that we get as Christians is that our lives are no longer defined by performance. Our lives are no longer performed by doing enough works to save ourselves, which we could never do. Our lives are defined 
by Jesus finishing the work. Our lives are now defined by resting in his finished work. And that means whether we are resting, whether we are playing, whether we are sleeping, whether we are getting up for the fourth time in the night to take care of a baby. We can do all those things from posture of rest in Christ. And when we struggle with that, I'm not going to name names, and it's not, he's not, then there's not just one person, because I've heard this from multiple people. If you struggle to sleep, if you struggle to, with anxiousness, go to the one who never did. You guys remember the story about Jesus in the boat on a stormy, stormy lake? And the disciples are freaking out, where's Jesus? He's asleep. <laughs> and the disciples come to him and say, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus gets up and he tells the wind and winds and waves to stop. And they stop. And then what does he say to his disciples? Where's your faith? Is it in the wind and the waves? Or, it is in the, in the, or is it in the God who is never anxious? So what does he mean? He says, does he berate us because we're anxious? No. He says, come to me. One pastor described it. Jesus got up from the, from the bench he was sleeping on in the boat, and he, told, and he tells you and I, come lie down here, and I'll hold you. And I'll help you gives to his beloved sleep or rest. But not just rest that he gives. He gives us things to be received. What do we receive from the Lord? Well, what is rest? When we get it and when we operate from posture, what is rest? It's a blessing. It's a grace of God. Do you know what else is a grace of God? This passage says, kids. Behold, verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. We worship God by resting and receiving. Now, I come to this passage, and we should all come to this passage, understanding that not all of us have kids. Maybe that, for many, there's very, very good reasons and very, uh, sometimes very sad reasons why we don't have kids. Sometimes, it, just put it out there, sometimes it's, there are unrighteous reasons why we have kids or why we don't have kids. So this passage should be understood as both a physical reality and as a spiritual reality because this is God we're talking about. And when God says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, he means two groups. He means all these munchkins here, some who are asleep, some who are amazingly quiet, some who are doing little activities and all that kind of thing. And he also means, as the New Testament makes clear, 
spiritual children. You see, as we are disciple makers who follow Jesus, we want others to follow Jesus. And when God uses us to help others follow Jesus, guess what we become? (laughs) Spiritual parents of a sort. And God says here is that children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. And for those of us who are getting older, and as we look down to the end of our lives, oftentimes the thing that comes comes to us is, were we significant? Did we make an impact? Did we have a lasting influence? God tells us that children is how. Because they are a heritage, a legacy from him. And so we who have physical kids should rejoice and give thanks that God has given to us such a great gift. And for those of us who don't have kids, but who are also disciple makers, we should give thanks that God has given us the privilege to make an impact, to bring his gospel to people, to help them become children of God. And I want to encourage the parents. The fruit of the womb is a reward, not a curse. Don't let this culture assault you day in and day out that children are little angels when they're behaving well and that God hates you when they start tearing up a room and that you need to go get some wine. There's even a a group out there called Mama Needs Wine. It's despicable. Children are a reward because God loves you. We worship God by resting and receiving. So what do we do with the blessings God gives us? (laughs) Same thing. We worship. That brings us thirdly. We worship God by training and trusting. Because he says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And then he goes on to say this. He says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. When we read something like this, the question is, who needs the training? Who needs the training? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Well, We are to train our children. We are to train disciples. We are to train our our physical children to grow and and to to get the skills and the, the wisdom that they need to navigate the world successfully. But as I look at this passage, I would love to talk with you, any of you who really believe that you are the warrior that he's talking about. You know what I mean? Do you know what a war- Let's think about a warrior for a second. 
Is a warrior incompetent? Unable to handle the weapons that are given to him? No, he is super skilled. He's called a warrior. He's not just called like a soldier. He's called a warrior because that's how he works. You give him, you put something in his hand and he is able to use it and wield it effectively. Let me ask parents here. When you think about training and raising your children, How do you feel about the skill with the bow and the arrows who are your children, as this passage calls them? When you send them out of your house, excuse me, when you send them out of your house, are they going to hit the target that you want them to hit? The only time I heard somebody say that that was a piece of cake was in a was in a birthing class in a hospital by a guy who didn't know a thing. We need to be trained, and we need to train. And what does the Bible say? In Deuteronomy, it says, Parents, train your children in the fear and instruction of who? The Lord. You see, God wants us to give our kids skills and wisdom to navigate the world, like how to, how to work with money, how to keep a house, how to hold down a job. But he wants much, much more so those things which cannot initially be seen. He wants our children's hearts. And for us as a church, the children we minister to in this church, God wants their hearts. And sometimes it is a lack of training that we have that gets in the way of God going for their heart. We need to be trained. We need to be trained by His Word. Because it says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, some of you might take that as permission to have lots of kids. Go for it. You want, go for it. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And why won't he be ashamed? Because his children are trained. And when enemies came to the gate of a city in ancient Israel, the weakest spot of the city, it was also the strongest. If you had the right trained soldiers and warriors there to protect it. We are to train our children in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're the one, we are, they are going to be the ones to carry the gospel when we are done and passed away. We are to train them, and we need to be, be trained ourselves. So, <laughs> and I say all that, and I look at, okay, we've got to be trained like a warrior. Guess what the temptation is? Right again. Work, 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 work. Train, 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 train. Get all the classes. Get all the skills. Do all the support groups. Do all this stuff.
don't go down that road. God says, children are a heritage from who? The Lord. Because as I said, we worship God by training and trusting. Who are we trusting with our endeavors? Who are we trusting with our endeavors to train our children? To be trained. Because you parents know you don't have enough time in the day to teach them everything they need to know. And guess what? Even if they went to all the best schools, all the best training, we have people all over our world who've done that, and they're horrible, miserable, awful people. No worse than us, it's just more obvious because they are smarter. Who are we trusting with our endeavors? The one we trust is the one who builds God's house. And that might be the most important thing of this whole passage. Because there is one who builds God's house. There is one who watches over God's city. There is one who properly trains and keeps the good heritage of children from, that are given to him by God. And it's the one who already finished the work. Jesus Christ. He is the one who builds God's house. You remember what he said in Matthew to Peter? After Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He made the good confession. You know what Jesus said? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when we look at what our needs are, that we worship by working and watching, by resting and receiving, by training, we need to trust Him and submit all of that to Him because He's the only one who's able to bear it all. And he's still the only one who's able to bear it all when you've given it a good shot to try to teach your kids something and the, literally the next second they do the exact opposite. Whether that's your physical children or someone you're trying to love with the love of Jesus and make a disciple of. We must trust the one who is building God's house. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His work was not in vain. God will work. We must worship through working, through watching, through resting, through receiving, through training, through trusting. So who are we worshiping, church? Who are we worshiping? Who do we really believe is working? Who do we really believe is working? 
And who are we seeking as we work, as we watch, as we rest, as we receive, as we train? Who do we trust? The story I shared at the beginning is part of God's working to bring me back to himself. Because that brought me to a moment where I had to bend the knee and say, there is no other. We as a church have an amazing opportunity this year. We always have amazing opportunities, but we definitely have an amazing opportunity this year. We have moved from, to a new building with new possibilities, and that was a lot of work going on to get us here, to get us to this spot. Was it us doing the work? Or was it him and him through us doing the work? And if it was him working in us and through us, what about this year? Is it now time for God to hand us the car keys and say, okay, it's your shot. Go for it. Is that how God works? I will build my church. Everything that we do this year as an opportunity will only, should only be done by the power of God through His Holy Spirit working in His church. It's not a time to double down and work harder. It's also not a time to warm the pews with our hands folded and say, God, go ahead and work. It is a time for us to seek the Lord, to keep working as he has already been faithfully working in this church. Over and over and over and over and over again. We only need to seek his face. So let us pray to build where he's building. To watch where he's watching. And let us do this from a place of rest. Knowing that he gets the glory. That it's in his hands ultimately. That we are taking care of. Not for the bread of anxious toil, but receiving blessings from his hands. Training our children and the children whom God is bringing to himself. And trusting him who has done the greatest work to work that out in our lives and through our lives as a church family. God will work, church. He will. We, we must worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we work and work and work and work trying to make things happen by our own power. And we don't rest 
And Lord, we confess that we treat those who are less mature, children, if you will, we treat those who are less mature as inconveniences. We treat our own children as burdens rather than blessings. And we easily fall prey to two temptations of being part of a church body. One merely consuming, the other trying to do all. Please, Lord, forgive us from entering those temptations so often. Please refresh our hearts with your rest because you have finished the work. Help us to live there because you died to give us rest. You died so that we could receive the greatest blessing. Help us to steward that blessing well, not by our own power, but by yours. So Lord, we pray for our church this year, your church. Please build your house. Do amazing things in us and through us. And thank you, Lord, that any work that we do where you are working, because we're doing it with you by your Holy Spirit's power, it will always be of value. It will always be worthwhile. And so, Lord, we pray along with the people of God in the past, Lord, establish the work of our hands. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.